This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, I got to chat with Adam Goyette, founder of Curtis and former marketing leader at Help Scout, G2, and more. You'll learn the framework that he uses to systematically find more opportunities for growth in your existing funnel. You'll walk away with actionable steps you can take to find the best opportunities and double down on them, improve low-performing areas of your marketing funnel, and how to balance adding new growth experiments or channels with improving existing ones. I hope you enjoy it. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show a second time. You, uh, John, John Benini obviously had you on. I've been wanting to get you on for months. I'm super excited to chat with you. So yeah, thanks for being willing to give, uh, give us another round here. Yeah, that, definitely. Thanks for having me on. Um, so for people who don't know, I've obviously been following along. I think a lot of listeners probably follow along with you on LinkedIn. Um, but for those who are, haven't been familiar with your journey, um, you transitioned away from marketing leadership, like at a specific company to run Curtis. Um, I think, is it Curtis.co? Yep. Correct. Okay. Um, can you give like the 30 second pitch? Like, what do you do there? Who's a good fit to work with you? What are some pains that you solve for companies? Yeah, so I work with early stage SaaS companies, mostly in B2B, uh, who are just trying to figure out how do they scale, how do they grow. Uh, and so I use a lot of the learnings I had at my times at Help Scout and G2 and at scaling up companies in the past uh, to work with them to figure out, hey, where should you be placing bets or where shouldn't you, right? I think early stage startups are kind of amazing in, in terms of you can do anything, but that's also kind of the blessing and the curse, right? Is you can do anything, but you actually can't because you have limited resources. So it's really important that you focus in on the right things. And so uh, I work with companies to build out their overall like growth strategies and stuff like that. So it's been a lot of fun. Okay, awesome. Um, is there like a specific... Uh... It, what's like an inflection point for when a company would come like work with you typically like how early is too early and maybe how big is too like late stage? Yeah, it depends. I, I've worked with companies that are seed stage where they have no marketers and I'm helping them do some of the actual work to get it going. Uh, I'm not the long-term solution, uh, but I'm very able and capable of getting things up and going for them so we can start building out teams. And so I've joined at those stages. I've also joined uh, where there's a team of six or seven people uh, and I'm helping kind of almost as a fractional kind of executive uh, with that team while they're hiring someone or figuring out how they're going to structure the team. So it's been kind of across the board uh, where I've been able to jump in. And I'm, I'm lucky because in my, my background, I've worked at early stage companies. I've also worked for, you know, more established enterprise level companies. So I kind of have that mix. Okay. Awesome. Uh, okay. So today for listeners, we're going to be chatting about finding efficiencies in your existing funnel, kind of driving more consistent or more predictable growth by starting with your existing funnel and finding opportunities to optimize there. So I guess one question to get started there is really simply like, how can a B2B leader uh, who is listening, what's, is there steps you recommend or, or the framework like how do you recommend they audit their existing funnel to find opportunity? Like my, like my first question, you know, prepping for this was like, there's so many areas you could focus in on. Like where, like, where do you even begin? Do, is benchmarking part of that? Like when you're looking at each stage, what's, how do you know what a low percentage is? How do you know what the lowest hanging fruit is? Like, how do you, how do you think about that? Or how would you advise someone? Yeah. So I think, um, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like 
what's happening in the funnel. It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, I don't care what it can be, an Excel spreadsheet or you know a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month and reviewing. Um, and so with that, you know, tracking like how much traffic you're getting, what are the traffic sources, what happens to that traffic on the site, what are the conversion rates, what happens after they convert, uh, you know, what, how many actually end up showing up to the demo, how many then turn into opportunities, and measure it kind of all through the funnel. Building that out, uh, it sounds like, oh, everyone's probably tracking that, but what I found is like most companies actually aren't tracking that in one central spot, and they don't have an operating cadence where they're reviewing it, and so, um, I used to review this data every single month, the first week of a month to look at last month. Uh, and then you can start identifying trends like, huh, organic dropped off in terms of the traffic, which actually impacts the signups because those convert at a higher rate on our site than paid traffic or whatever it might be. Uh, so you have a much better understanding of what's happening in your funnel versus like looking at it and being like, oh, we missed our lead number. We missed the revenue target for this month. And it's like, what, what happened? And you don't know. Um, Right. So I think a big part of it is just laying that foundational work. It sounds very simple, but like a lot of companies just don't do that. And then having that cadence where I would review that uh, with the marketing team every single month in like a two hour meeting, uh, we would just go through and everyone would have commentary for like, here's why it happened. Right. So if you're in charge of content, you are responsible for inputting the traffic numbers and owning that uh, and explaining kind of what happened. Right. Maybe there is a logical reason of like, you know, why paid traffic went down. Oh, we stopped spending on these brand terms because they weren't converting as much. And it's like, okay, that makes sense, right? And you have that story and you understand what's happening. But it really starts with having that operating cadence. So that would be like step number one is get your measuring in place, get like actually establish measuring your funnel at each stage. So a few questions here. Do you recommend kind of every every stopping point that can like micro stopping points be measured all the way through and get as granular as you're able to at the stage of company that you're at? Or do you recommend more commonly thought of like macro stages? Like I'm envisioning like a pipeline in a CRM, like, you know, do you envision like kind of four or five main stages the way marketers often talk about? Or is it like, no, take, take the way your business operates and at every single touch point on the way down to a sale, be measuring that. Yeah. Uh, I think the the macro level is great starting point and it's like great for slides and like summaries. Uh, but the reality is like, if you want to know, if you're just looking at overall traffic and you're like, oh, traffic's down. Well, what's the next logical question? It's like, okay, why? And where is it down from? Like, what are the sources? And then it's like, okay, now another layer deep, like, okay, of the organic traffic, like which blog posts or which pages aren't ranking anymore? Where are we losing this traffic from and why? Um, so you are naturally going to go down that path anyways. Uh, so like usually like you have all that data. So usually I like both kind of, to be honest with you, I think you need that, that like really in-depth look to really understand if you're trying to impact it. And that's the goal of it, um, to say like, what, understand what's happening in the funnel and how you change some of that stuff. Um, you, you really need both. How many months of, you know, if someone's listening and, you know, like to your point, if, if there's a listener who is like, that's me. I, I haven't, you know, started measuring any of this stuff. So they're getting started. They don't have a lot of historic data then. Um, how many months before is it, do they need to wait before they could probably make like a good decision on where to start in their funnel? Cause it seems to me, one of the risks would be that you would too prematurely like jump in and try and play around with stuff when maybe like you just need to get a lay of the land for a while. 
Yeah. I think generally, like you should be able to track back a couple of months to see like, what are the trends that you have going on um, and understand like, uh, even if it's going up into the right, sometimes that's also a problem because it's like, oh, traffic's going up, but it's actually going up at a less month over month rate or like our growth is, is slowing down. Do we know why? Right. And so like, I don't think it's ever too early to start tracking that sort of stuff uh, and then figuring out where the decisions are. And I think one of the things you'll do is like you realize how much data maybe you don't have or like how much you're not tracking truly like what's happening inside of your funnel once you kind of start doing this exercise. So just start with the high level, like what happens in our funnel today and put those numbers in month over month and then start looking, seeing what trends and you probably find some areas you want to start digging deeper in and, and that'll kind of get built as you go. It's okay to not have the answer to everything to know this blog post does this every single month, uh, but start somewhere. Right. And it, with the goal of like, you'll eventually get there. Does who owns this? Like, I know you mentioned you'd be, it sounds like at each stage you would kind of be going to the shareholders responsible for like, so if we get to a point where, you know, I'm just going to take Databox as an example. Obviously, organic traffic is a big uh, source of of signups for us. So, like, we would work with our team members responsible for driving organic search and things like that to own and report. And maybe if we had to dig deeper, had questions around it, those are the people that you'd look to to, to get granular and answer specific questions. But um, if if it's a smaller team or they're earlier on in the marketing journey, or even if there is like five, 10 team members in marketing, who should ideally like own putting this together if it doesn't exist? Is this like in the C-suite? Is this the, the marketing leader? Yeah, if you're a marketing leader and you don't have this, uh, it's on you to own it, right? Like, because ultimately like you need to know what's happening inside of your organization and where you're focusing the team because it's 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 not just about understanding what's happening. It's about how you're deploying resources. And like the number one thing as a marketing leader, the most important thing you're doing is like, where are you deploying the team? Kind of how we kind of started the conversation is like, you can do anything. Uh, what should you be doing? Um, if you're deploying people against the wrong types of projects, you're not going to get the results. You're wasting tons of cycles and tons of resources, right? Uh, whereas if I'm looking at the data and really understand what's happening, not only am I identifying problems, but I'm also probably identifying like areas I can start making bets and doubling down on, right? So if organic content is a great example, if you find like, hey, this type of organic content actually performs really well for us, like in terms of sales opportunities, like you know, one of every five turns into an opportunity when we run these types of webinars or whatever it might be. If you know that level of data, you can be like, why aren't we doing more of those? Like, how do we, how do we scale this program up? Or maybe we should put paid advertising behind that. So if you're a marketing leader, to me, that's like fundamental. You should really own that because you need that to be good at your job. Um, in terms of like who actually pulls the numbers every single month and all those kinds of things. Like if you have an ops person, they can probably help. But like, I think it's the functional kind of leaders to say, like, if you're in charge of content, you should also know, uh, you know, how your content's performing. Right. And it's not right. just a high level traffic number. Uh, you want to know how it's impacting the business. Uh, and, and that to me, you should be able to tell that story if you're a content leader. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. Um, OK, so at this point, our fictional uh, marketing leader who did not have data set up is now measuring everything. They've got their touch points set up. They've been measuring, they've pulled historic data from the past few months to get them started. And now we're a month or two in and they're going to plan for the next quarter or the next year. When they're looking at the various stages, what are they looking for? Where do they start? Like there's a, potentially all stages could be improved. 
Um, what do they start? What is, what indicates low hanging fruit to you? What, where does your eye go? Like what, what do you coach people with? Yeah. So I, my eye usually goes to the best and the worst, right? Like I think, <laughs> and that's kind of like everything in between you're like, okay, it's not a huge problem. And, and the reason it goes to the best, uh, is most of the times I've worked at like companies that have really aggressive growth goals. Right. And so I need to find what's working and like, like I said, double down on this or triple down on this and, and really deploy more of the resources into what's driving some impact. Uh, so usually I'm like, oh, what, what channel is performing best for us or where do we have the best opportunity? So sometimes you have, the numbers are amazing. It's like, well, we can't really scale it beyond that. Uh, so like if we have an audience built off of G2 intent data, it's like, this is amazing. How do we get more of it? And it's like, well, you really can't because like I asked G2 to drive more traffic to the category. You know what I mean? Like there's right. a level yeah. of interest where it's kind of caps out. Uh, and so there's some areas where it's like, it's just going to be what it is uh, and it'll be really good. There's other areas where you see where it's like, oh, there's a big opportunity if we keep scaling this. Um, and so like one is like, where are the opportunities to scale? Uh, and so what's what's the good? And then what's the bad? Um, and how do you identify if it's bad or not? Um, is a little bit just understanding like, uh, you kind of have to understand your funnel a little bit, but if you're seeing like, Hey, only like 5% of our leads that we're passing over are, are actually like converting into an opportunity. That's like a big, like red flag, right? So they're like, okay, what's happening then? Is it like lead quality issue? Uh, is it something in the qualification process with the BDR team? Uh, is it in the BDR to AE handoff? Like what's happening? And suddenly you find yourself like digging into an area uh, where you probably wouldn't be spending a lot of time. Right. Um, and so I, I think th those are the two areas I usually go. Um, and I'll ask for benchmarks and stuff like that to try to get like, what's, what is a good conversion rate? Um, but also if you're a marketing leader and you've been doing this for a while, you probably have a pretty good handle on like what those, what those should look like. But, um, I also have no, you know, problem picking up the phone or sending a Slack message or email to anyone in marketing to say like, most people are really helpful. It's like, Hey, what is your, I'm just curious, like, what is your conversion rate typically for lead to op? And like, most people will just tell you the numbers. Uh, yeah. So I ask a lot of times, like a lot of times when I talk to marketers, I'll just randomly ask questions like that of whatever problem I'm trying to solve, just so I have a good understanding of what are other people trying to measure. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode.
Yeah. Um, this is awesome. So I'm curious. I, I mean, this, this is not going to be it. This is going to be one of those, it depends answers I'm, I'm guessing, but um, like when you say you look for the best and the worst, <clears throat> I'm guessing these are, I mean, these are numbers that to your point, like if you're experienced, these are going to stand out to you. You'll be able to pick out one that seems like it's, it's the thing that it does best mean they've got a good attribution set up and it's the thing that is driving the most pipeline right now, or does best mean it's just the highest number in the, like it's the best average performing compared to what you've seen in the past. Like what defines best and how can a newer marketing leader without kind of like your, you know, ability to come in and quickly read what, what would be some things that would indicate like really good and what would be, you know, uh, some things that would indicate like really bad. How would they know this if, if they're semi new? Yeah. So like a good example, um, well, fundamentally, you just have to kind of be curious to say, like, what happens, right? Like, you're spending all this time as a marketer trying to drive people into the funnel and make people aware of your company and doing all these things. And, like, you should have a natural curiosity as to, like, what is actually happening? Uh, and so an example I'll give recently is a company I work with. Um, they sell, like, completely global, right? They sell the companies all over the world. Uh, but what we found is, uh, when we started breaking it down, like their paid ads, I was like, where are the ads running? And it's like, oh, they're running here. And like the way they were bucking it was like, you know, uh, North America, you know, rest of the world, all this sort of stuff. And we're the conversion rates were relatively the same when we got to the the ACV. And it was like the US was like almost double in terms of ACV versus the rest of the world. Like people were willing to spend more money on this. And so when you oh, looked at the return on the ad spend, it was like, wow, this is way better, even though the numbers generally, when you look at the number of customers and all that sort of stuff all throughout kind of look the same. And so it's like, wow, that's a huge opportunity for us. What happens if we just take that money that we're spending in ads from the rest of the world and just dumped it over into the US and like doubled our ad spend next month? Would that actually double the revenue? Uh, and so, and we did see a huge jump in double, but um, there was kind of, it was a, a big increase in terms of the ad spend and the efficiency. So like, that's an example where just kind of curiosity of like, well, where are we running them and where is it breaking down kind of results in this big return. Um, there's mm -hmm. other opportunities where it's like, hey, just look for where's the biggest drop off in your funnel and then say like, do we think if we got, uh, you know, our landing page conversion from two to 3%, like what, what impact, and everything else stayed the same, what impact would that have on our funnel? Um, and you're like, wow, suddenly it's like, that would generate because we're getting so much traffic X amount more hey, we should really focus our efforts in, in doing this because here's the impact it could have in our funnel. Um, and so I just look for those opportunities as well. Okay. Now you mentioned, um, you know, kind of looking in it at, hey, like, especially when there's higher growth targets or like your new marketing leader, you want to put up a win pretty quickly. So yep. you want to come in and you want to say, okay, what's working? So maybe I can double down on that. And in the first quarter, get some wins, then we can experiment with other things. Yep. It, a few questions here. Um, in general, it feels like we there is this like somewhat inherent danger to not be curious as you're advocating and not kind of look or ask or expect for more. And it's kind of like, oh, this is the quote unquote like good. Like sometimes people will, I, I think it was Asia Rangio who was on the show and she was like, benchmarks are just that. They're not ceilings that like you can't go beyond, right? Yeah. But yeah. I think they're, how do you, how do you gauge Obviously it's, it's channel dependent, but how do you gauge when you're kind of at a ceiling or when you think you could leverage more when they're coming in and they're seeing this like good opportunity, 
would it just be the example of like, is it fairly logical? Is it like, okay, SEO, how many more keywords are there that we're not targeting? There you go. Like there's more, the, the ceiling is higher there. Whereas like maybe paid ads, we're at our limit right now, or we've saturated the industry. How do you think about when you would know that a channel's maxed and it's time to move on to something new versus there's opportunity to double down here? Yeah. Um, yeah, they're definitely not ceilings, right? Because I think like to your point, um, there's always companies that are just like absolutely, I might hear their numbers. I'm just blown away by what they're able to do in certain channels in terms of efficiency. Um, I think the big thing is like we talked about, like the example of like, is your landing page converting enough? Um, is, you know, whatever it might be, is there a drop off from, you know, lead to demo show rates, all these kinds of things. It's just kind of like as a marketer saying like, okay, let's look at the landing page. <laughs> Are we doing everything right? What will we change about this page? We we're trying to get people to convert more. And you might be like, huh, like we're asking for five fields on this. Do we need all five? What happens if it was three? Do you think that would jump the conversion rate? Like, okay, sweet. Let's, let's, let's launch it and update it to just have three fields. Or do we have any social proof above the fold? Like, you know, something like that, where it's like, no, we're not doing everything we could be to optimize this. Um, and then I think it's really just like having like a stack ranked list of like, okay, the landing page conversion, if we could get it, here's the expected impact, if we could actually move this number and here's the effort involved, right? Like updating a field or removing two fields on a form is not a huge thing potentially to jump this. So it's like, we should test that and experiment. Um, and so you don't have to just pick like one thing to do. You can do a lot of things, right? Uh, but it's about prioritizing which are the ones. And I always just look at like, if you're talking about like a quick win, what's the expected impact of something like that? Sometimes it's really small uh, or sometimes it's really big. And you're like, oh, the effort to do that is is super small for us, right? Whereas like, targeting SEO keywords, like, okay, now we're gonna have to build out content for all of these things. So like, you really wanna have a much better handle on like, what is the impact of something like that? So um, yeah, so I don't know, if, does that answer the question? I think it's yeah. kind of prioritizing like a bunch of different items across the funnel. Yeah, it seems like uh, one, of the, one of the questions I just personally enjoy asking, even if it's like unrelated to the interview is, uh, there's certain marketers that I just want to get their take on what's the balance or the blend of art and algebra or like data and kind of gut uh, sense. Yeah. And this is, I think that's a really good illustration of it where, where um, the data will lead you to focus your attention on a given area and hypothesize, oh, you know, given the data, given the numbers, this would be the upside if we could improve this landing page or this homepage or whatever, but then comes in like the qualitative to, cause there's no right answer to kind of say, okay, do we think we could squeeze more out? And it's, it really is this kind of like um, qualitative gut driven approach. It seems where when you're looking at it, you can kind of know, like, we've kind of thrown everything in the kitchen sink at this. Like we've made yeah. it really simple, like, you know, like reverse engineering our behavior as users. We've made it really simple to apply. There's not that many forms. We've included everything. Like we could maybe tweak some aesthetics. So maybe we're maxed here and then maybe it's time to move on to somewhere else versus like what you say, you come in, you're like, well, this for me filling out this form. I can tell you already, like the three things that I'm not seeing that I would expect to see. Um, yep. So it seems like maybe this is a, that's an area where there's just this blend, like the data leads you to focus in on this area of the funnel. And then comes like the gut where you're trying to hypothesize and explore like what could make it better. And to your point, then the data of like, is the risk versus, uh, you know, what's the, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like if we do take a month to overhaul this, is it worth it? What, what yep. will the numbers be? 
Yeah, I think the other thing too to keep in mind, uh, and a lot of like mistakes I see marketing leaders make is they think they have to do this like themselves, like it's on them. Uh, and the reality is like your team probably knows better, definitely knows better than you uh, as to like what they would do, right? And so a little bit if you're measuring them on the right things, um, and I ask my content team like, hey this is down. Like, do we think these are the keywords we should go after or like knowing we have to hit this number? Like what, where would you make the bets? Uh, and they probably have a good understanding uh, as to what they would do or your designer on the homepage or whatever, whatever thing you're optimizing. Right. So it should be a collaborative effort of like discussing these things and figuring them out because you're rarely going to be the person with all the answers and definitely not all the right answers. Right. And so uh, <laughs> don't try to do it in a silo. Uh, it also helps, I think, get the team like bought into what you're trying to do a lot more and it gets them thinking on their own like routinely like oh i wonder if we could get more out of this or out of this and so it creates like a good mindset within the team when they start operating that way versus if you're just like you know at home trying to figure this out on your own and come in like here's the 10 projects we're doing and it's like a hand top-down approach like you're not going to get nearly as much buy-in hmm. yeah that's a good point um okay so so in 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 looking at your existing funnel for opportunities we've we've started measuring and monitoring we've got a little bit of data to go on the hypothetical marketing leader is looking at the best numbers and the worst the best they've tried to double down or increase as much as they could till they kind of max the best out and then the worst they're trying to go improve and figure out how to fix. Now that those two are done, let's say hypothetically, they've kind of maxed out the best stage and they've kind of fixed and brought to normacy the worst stage. Do they, where do they go now? Do they kind of look for like the next number, like stage in the funnel to improve? Or are they maybe now trying to fold in new marketing channels? Like where are they going from here? Yeah. So I think there's like getting the efficiency out of, the, out of everything you're doing now. And then there's adding new tactics, new channels, new things you want to build in. You probably have to be doing both at the same time. Right. And so it's a little bit of a, a, a trading exercise to say like, Hey, we're going to launch these new campaigns, but we also need to optimize the funnel and do these kinds of things. Right. And so, um, and with that every month, something, the amazing thing about marketers, like surprise, everything breaks every single month, right? <laughs> Something's going to be wrong. And it's like, and it's a domino, right? So if you're like, okay, we're going to scale up content and go after these keywords, well, suddenly you find like, hey, our conversion rates dropping on the site because it doesn't look like they're converting because it's coming from a different audience or whatever it might be, right? Uh, and so you kind of have a new set of problems every single month to go out and try to optimize and fix. Um, and just know that because I think that's part of like the fun thing. It's like you're constantly just tinkering uh, to figure out like, what is the optimal kind of solution? Right. And so, um, and then there's lots of variables that are beyond your control. Like you just, the sales team went out and hired like 10 new BDRs and they got a bunch of the leads. So the conversion rates started dropping. Uh, you kind of need to know that as well. Right. And so there's lots of elements and components to it, uh, to figure out. Uh, but yeah, to me, it's the balance of like launching new things and then optimizing the existing ones. And you're saying those are happening simultaneously. So maybe once you've kind of maxed out the the best stage of the funnel or the, or the things that are working best and you've improved the thing that was maybe performing abysmally, now you're kind of at like 
an average performance level. So now you're going through stage by stage and saying, let's run mini experiments or let me see if I can work with sales at this point or figure out how to like improve, you know, close rates or like, how can we like, maybe we can do a better job of passing intent of where the user came from on the website to the, to the, to the AE that's getting on the call or something like that. So you're going through these stages and then it sounds like simultaneously, like, do you recommend there be a period where you just do that before you start folding in new channels? Or do you think it should be both? Like this is going to be, you're never going to be done working on the funnel. So just start working on the funnel to improve anything you can and simultaneously run these other growth experiments. Yeah. I think that it's probably both at the same time. Cause I think one, a couple things, uh, like most of the startups don't have uh, the luxury to say like, Hey, we're just going to hold on like net new channels. Right. And like, and we're just going to optimize what we have because even if you optimize generally, uh, most companies don't have like this huge massive amount of inbound. So like, even if you optimize that to a certain percent, like there is a cap to that until you start driving more and more in. Now you don't want to just dump a ton of like new things into a completely broken funnel kind of system because then the result of that is not good either. Um, so it's kind of both at the same time, I think is, is usually what, what I recommend for both people. And I think the other thing is like, once you have your funnel optimized, um, there's a lot of experimentation and testing you can do where it's like just rethinking it all together. Uh, so trying mm -hmm. something completely different. So rather than like optimizing and doing this stuff, it's like, well, what if we just did this this way, right? Like, what if we just had people like, book time, this is not like a crazy idea, but like book time, rather than like request a demo, they just book time directly on AE's calendars. Like what would happen there uh, if we did something like that uh, to our funnel? And so it's a completely different approach, uh, but we're going to try it for a week or two weeks and see what's happening. And so that's where I think you can get some potentially like big upswings or like a landing page or an ad campaign where it's like, we're going to try something totally different here uh, from an ad perspective and see if it works. And so that's where you can start getting those new ideas, uh, which could be a whole nother podcast of like, how do you, how do you actually get the team to start thinking through like those big ideas? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, this, uh, I feel like you would be amazing to talk to about taking a revenue target and then turning it into like actionable goal. Like that'd be something I'd love to, you know, maybe we'll have to have you back to, to tackle that. The other yeah. thing it makes me think is like, when you're saying like, um, when you said, as soon as you start kind of these other experiments, you're going to break at like all the numbers that you knew, like, like the, the numbers that you had kind of a good grasp on at each stage are going to change. Cause to your point, right? Like, so you double organic traffic, which, also might mean you're doubling. Um, like I talked to someone on the, on the podcast who was saying they found that when they drove signups from bottom of funnel, organic content signups, like people would sign up first time, like they'd hit a piece of content and sign up, but then churn rates among those people were higher because they weren't as well versed or familiar with like all the things the product could do. Like they came in for like dashboard software search. They just want to use dashboard. And then when they don't need dashboard, they don't care about all the other things you've done. Whereas like they found their middle or top of funnel that would, that would walk readers through the bigger ecosystem of problems that the, that the tech solves, then they would retain longer because they had an appreciation for all these tools. So it feels like there's so many ways you could throw it off and you're always adjusting to that. And it reminded me of something um, we had Benjamin Elias in the show and he was, he, I, I like the analogy that stuck with me. It's that like all these data points are like a constellation, like that they make up a constellation and you would just have 
it's the marketer's job to have an understanding of like, Hey, whoa, these two numbers broke this quarter. Like what happened, you know, and be able to reverse yep. engineer like, well, the three numbers that impact those two numbers are these things, what changed, you know, and you're, you like need to have an understanding so you can quickly zoom in on like, well, what changed with organic? Like what, like, what do we do with the content we're approaching? Like what kinds of keywords are we now ranking for? Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think that's like, uh, that's the the balance, right? As a marketing leader is like, you want, everyone wants to do like the fun, creative, big campaigns. Uh, and those are great. And like, I love doing those things as well, but you really have to have an understanding of like what's happening in your universe. Like the same way, if you talk to a sales leader, they know, okay, here's what's happening. Here's why these deals are slowing down. Here's what's happening. We're getting pushed back on this. Whatever's happening in their pipeline, they understand like we had a new reps. So this happened or, you know, lead routing got broken or this person was out on, you know, paternity leave, maternity leave, whatever. Like they just know their numbers inside and out. As a marketing leader, you have to do the same thing, right? And so again, like knowing exactly how everything's impacting one another uh, is one of the biggest pieces because then it's like, it's very easy to explain to a board or to your CEO as like what's happening and here's why we're focused in on these things. Because a lot of times like CEOs don't care uh, well, exactly what you're doing. They just want to know, like, how is it impacting the number? And so I think marketers struggle a lot of times explaining, like, why are we focusing in on doing these things? Uh, and if you know the data inside and out, it's like, well, because it, like, to your point, it's like these two things broke and these two impact this thing. Um, and this is why we're going to do that. And this is why we need resources to help with a new onboarding uh, experience. Because to your point, like we had saw this at the Help Scout, people came in on like a very specific use case from some of our content and they got in. And the first onboarding thing was like setting up like your customer support inbox and all these things. And they're like, what? I thought I was coming in to get this one chat thing, right? And so it's like, and nothing about it said chat. And so it's like, we could stop doing that or we could try to experiment with a new onboarding experience that caters that like, Hey, we know you came in for chat, but you can also do these, all these amazing things uh, with the product that'll also support that. So, um, but if we're not telling that story and we're just going down the same path for everyone, like it's going to start, you know, impacting, you know, trial, the conversion rates, all these kinds of things. Uh, and so you really need to understand that. And, and then it, it helps so much and be able to make business cases for resources and all these kinds of things. Yeah, I think um, it, it's this is so cool to me of a topic because often when you think about marketing or maybe when non-marketers think about marketing, they're thinking about going out and finding new ways in, to get your message out and new ways to bring people in. But so much of it is being able to be an empathetic person who puts yourself in the shoes of the customer and walks through the business experience from start to end and is picking out like there's so many qualitative things like it's like, you have to be able to go through and say, well, if I was a user coming in from the blog who consumed this post and, you know, onboarded this way, like this is what would jar me, or this was what would throw me off. And maybe we can improve. Then if we change this, maybe, you know, retention's higher. They have a better understanding. Like an, an example that's coming to mind is, um, uh, MJ Peters was on the show and shared a really cool example of like, they have three primary use case pages at Colab and she would have a unique ID for like booking a demo form at the bottom of each of those use cases so that when people would book a demo on a use case page, she could make sure that the AE like or, or the SDR or whoever like understood the use case that person was coming when they booked a call. So instead of having like 
a basic pitch that they give everyone, they were able to be like, hey, we saw you were interested, especially in blank. Let's start there. And then they're able to be relevant in the first 15 minutes. Yep, exactly. I also think to your point of like your user experience matters so much. Uh, and marketers, I think a lot of times just don't go and do it. And so I like go through the the actual experience of what it is. And I posted this on Twitter like a few months ago, but I went to a website and it was literally the experience was like, accept the cookies, uh, you know, that pop up within five seconds, a chat bot pops up asking me if I want a demo. Uh, there was a higher bar like banner at the top that was like download our white paper or something like that. And then a takeover came up and it's like, I've been on the site. I'm a first time visitor to the site. And I have four pop-ups to close out before I can even see what your company does. It's like, that is such a bad experience. Why would I want a demo? I've been on your site for five seconds. I'm not right. a return visitor. Like, And so like, if you were the marketing leader at the company and you came to that site, you'd be like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense while we're, why, why we're doing this. And the problem is like those decisions by themselves in a silo make sense. Cause it's like, oh, you, we have, we had a pop-up bar that, you know, had our latest announcement for a new visitor. It's like, awesome. Yeah, let's do that. Right. Like, and they probably look at the numbers and say like, yeah, this is driving signups or this is driving people clicking on it. You know, 2% of people all click on this uh, or whatever, but they're not looking at the overall experience. And then like, right. what is the actual bounce rate on the, <laughs> the page now? Uh, Cause you might be getting clicks on any of those areas. Uh, but like your overall bounce rate, I'm assuming is probably less and time on the site is probably less and all these kinds of things. And also it's just like a horrible user experience. So, um, but yeah, that's, I think looking at that on a monthly basis and going through your funnel and be like, does this actually make sense? Um, right. Or like I was a buyer because we all buy software, we all buy everything. Um, would I actually enjoy this experience or would I be like, man, this sucks. Right. <laughs> and if it yeah. sucks, fix it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. Um, and it seems like in that case, there does need to be, it feels like in marketing, it's really important for there to be a person who has a, whose job is to have a cohesive understanding of how all the parts fit together and what each is trying to solve. So it's like, I understand we're trying to drive downloads of the white paper in your example. I understand, you know, but, but like if they, if no one has the cohesive understanding from beginning to end, that's what you get. You get someone who's like, well, we need to drive sense to the to the white paper. So we're going to put it like most traffic is on the homepage. So we're going to put it there. Then, you know, maybe the dev team's like, well, we need to get people to accept cookies. So that's going right there. And then sales is saying, well, we, you know, we installed drift. So like, let's, you know, let's start the conversation right away. Whereas if someone's like, I understand what all of you are trying to do. What's the first thing a user wants when they come to it? Like, probably let's just let them consume the hero messaging and say like, who are you and what do you do in like two seconds? Then maybe we can route them if they get like, hey, if they get down here and they haven't found something that they're interested in, maybe that's a good time to like hit them with the white paper, you know? And like, so you're trying to help everyone achieve their goals, but when there's no cohesive vision, it seems like instead you just get all these people that like you get everyone trying to do, move the needle on their thing, which makes sense, but that creates like a really fractured experience for the end user. Yeah, totally. And I think also like back to your point of like, you're going to break one impact. They're not like in isolation, these numbers, right? So one impact, one of those changes will impact the other. And it's like, Hey, we're chats up. Awesome. And it's like, yeah, but demo requests are actually down because like we have this pop up and that's where it's taking most people now. And then I think like, if you're looking at those numbers and then the next question is like, well, do those actually convert higher like on a chat or like the other good example I got that's like very tactical. It's like, we're getting less signups uh, and because we have a chat bot installed. So like less people are requesting a demo. Well, the only way to get a demo before it was like fill out a form. 
So now people are able to get on chatbot and actually like ask questions. And so it's like, yeah, we're getting less demos, but actually the demos are converting higher. When you look at the opportunities, they're actually right. higher. It's actually a better use of our time because we're filtering people out who are like, does this do this? And we're like, no. Uh, and then they go away, right? Or how much is it? And it's like, plants start at this and they go away. Uh, so the people are self-selecting out. So like, if you look at the end result of like opportunities, it's actually higher. Um, and so like, and our reps are more efficient now. So the chatbot right. is working really well, right? And so like, but if you just looked at the total signups, you'd be like, oh my God, this is like destroying our site. Um, so again, back to knowing the numbers and the story and why you're focusing on this or why this matters, like th that's where you should really be focusing. And that's, that's, I was thinking of a similar example of like I, companies, again, this is nothing novel for like companies that have been product led from day one, but like putting a, a 10 minute, like, demo video saying like, get it, like watch a demo and they can go there and watch. It's like, yeah, if you were new to implementing that, like sit, like booked sales calls would go down significantly, but everyone I'm sure like the intent would be significantly higher. So yeah, it's, it's all about how these like play together. Um, well, yeah. So I want to be, I, I know we're like getting to the top of the hour. So I want to be respectful of your time. Can you, you have a great example here. Maybe we can walk through in like the remaining minutes um, of actually helping a client find this efficiency in their funnel, um, helping them specifically increase the demo show rate by about 15%. Can you like yep. walk through kind of like beginning to end what, what you did there to illustrate this? Yeah. So I, we were doing exactly kind of what I talked about this monthly review of looking at the funnel, uh, and understanding like what's happening with leads by source and understanding like, um, uh, what are some of the trends we're seeing? And one of the things we noticed was like, man, our demo show rate, uh, is like pretty bad it's not it, like people just aren't showing up to the demo and then like so you know as we're reviewing the numbers i'm like well why uh and sales like i'm not really sure why and it's like okay well can we go through the experience and i looked at it and then we go and it like brings up chili piper um to book your time and basically you're allowed to select up to like two weeks out I was like, that feels like a really long time. Like, I don't remember what I did two weeks ago. <laughs> I barely remember what I did yesterday. Uh, but like, that feels like a long time. So like, are people seeing this and booking far out? And so we looked and said like, how many people are booking more than like three or five days out? And it's like, most of them are. Um, and, and so we, what we did was like, okay, well, what if we just limited it to like within three to three days? I think we did. Uh, and you can't book further out than that. So if you want to book time live, it's got to be within the next three days. And then the next question is like, is anyone actually following up with these people after they book it? And it's like, no, they have a time on their calendar. So we started following up like immediately after with a phone call from BDRs, even though they already had a time book, just like, hey, I'm just confirming this still works. And here's the person who will be on the call with you and just giving them more information just to like solidify that kind of touch point. Uh, and then the third thing we started doing is like, day of, I was like, do we send reminders or do we send anything like the morning of, uh, of these calls? And it's like, well, some AEs do, uh, some don't. And we looked at the people who were doing it and their show rate was way higher because <laughs> they were just going through and saying like, Hey, looking forward to chatting with you later today. Um, and so, and the best reps were actually sending out gift cards to people saying like, Hey, coffee on me this morning. Uh, I know you have a busy day and we're chatting later in the afternoon, uh, looking forward to chatting. Um, and so like, we just, looked at it and saw like what were the best practices from like okay people who book it sooner show a lot higher reps who follow up um their show rates a lot higher um and so and can we just have the bdr confirmed so we just implemented that like within a week's time 
and yeah like you said the the show rate jumped dramatically for us and like the, that's a huge impact because like we spent so much money to get people to request the demo so getting a you know 13 15 increase in like people actually showing up is really meaningful you know when you're selling a fifty thousand dollar solution which they right, were yeah and it's like suddenly it's like wow we have 30 more opportunities uh you know at fifty thousand dollars like I'm not great at math, but I think that's like $1.5 million, whatever it is. Like it's a meaningful number of pipeline that we're suddenly adding back in every single month, uh, just from like this really simple changes. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's a perfect illustration of exactly what you said, like coming in saying like, what's the best, what's the worst. Okay. This is the worst. Why is it so bad? You know, and going through it's that, it sounds like that qualitative quantitative blend of like, you know, just hypothesizing, like, how would I respond as a user of this? Like, I don't need more than a few days. If if I do, I'm I'm either really busy or I like probably not that interested. Yep. And then going through each of those stages. And this was all like done what in like the in like one week, two weeks, like inside of a yeah, short within time like within like two weeks. I think the biggest the biggest hurdle we had was like, how do we actually get people to send Starbucks gift cards out <laughs> on a daily basis? Like, how are we going to process that and all that sort of stuff? Uh, and then like just changing the BDR process to be like, you're getting these inbound leads. They're already, they already have a meeting book. So you don't need to do anything outside of just like confirm with them. And so it's just a little bit of training there, but like, uh, that was it. So within like a week and a half time, it was all live. And then, yeah, it was pretty easy. Wow. Awesome. Um, yeah, this has been awesome, Adam. I feel like this has been super helpful for anybody who like, it feels like this is incredibly practical for anybody who wants a quick win at their company. Anyone can start this process. That's the beautiful thing. Like maybe they've done step one or step two, they can jump in at step three. I feel like it provides a really um, consistent framework because like you said, the the funnel is never going to be like, you'll never be done working on it. There's never going to be a time when you're like, oh, we, you know, we've achieved perfection. There's nothing to improve. So it provides this way to predictably consistently like sustainably improve each stage, learn more about how the data interconnects to each other and grow over time. And as you do that, it sounds like you also have a better idea of like, it seems like you would be able to forecast more accurately as well. Like you'd get better at annual planning or whatever, because you have a much better idea of when we pull these levers, this is what happens. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, and at least I also, I think strategizing. So it's like prioritizing where your team focuses. Cause like, there could be 20 problems within the funnel and they're all good problems to solve, but how do you pick the five we're going to work on this month? Uh, and I mm. think if you do that exercise and try to map out the impact of something like that, like what if, you know, demo show rates went up by 15%, what would that do if everything else held true? And suddenly you're like, wow, that's a lot of pipeline. That's way more impactful than us trying to spin up a new channel um, potentially. Right. Like um, so we're going to focus our efforts here. Um, and then, yeah, you, you get a lot tighter in terms of the numbers and stuff that you can start forecasting out. Do you find this is, I guess this would be like the last question. Um, it just makes me wonder, like, do you, when you say you work on both, you kind of work on improving the existing funnel, um, or finding efficiencies on an ongoing basis while at the same time, kind of testing and identifying new growth opportunities. Do you, have you ever seen a company divvy up their marketing team that way? Like, or is it more like the departments are each kind of 50, 50 split, like some, like the departments are the same and half their initiatives are working on the existing pipeline and half the uh, initiatives are 
identifying new growth opportunities or like I've just I've never seen anyone like split the two and say like you're existing and you're like pure growth like new opportunities I'm curious how you think about that yeah I've seen a little bit of that um it's more so like when someone's managing paid I feel like they're just in a silo of just like just focus over here but where it usually breaks down is like it's not a silo right like it's not as simple as like because nobody cares about leads at the end of the day or MQLs or however you want to define it. They care about revenue. Uh, and so the reality is like you could have the best lead gen program in the world, but if the back half of that uh, is a bad experience from a conversion on the homepage or wherever you're sending people to the sales experience. And you know, like we said, like booking demos super far out, if all that's broken, like the best lead gen program in the world isn't going to look good. Um, mm. And ultimately like, the best marketers that I've worked with care about like the results they're driving at the end. So like naturally, if you're the person running those campaigns, if you're fine, just being like, Hey, like job's done. Uh, I generated these leads. It's probably a little bit of a miss. Um, whereas like the best marketers really care about like, well, what's happening. And back to the curiosity, they want to know, like hey, I'm spending 40 hours a week trying to solve this problem. Like, is it having an impact? Um, and like, if not, like, why, what's happening? Like, wh why are things breaking? Right. And like, well, what's happening on the sales call? Why are these people converting better than these people? Or why, what's happening here? Like they just naturally want to know what the impact is. And so, and then with that, they identify the problems or the opportunities and then try to solve them. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a cross-functional kind of thing. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for sharing everything. Where can people find you? Like, where can they, where can they hire you and where should they follow along with you to kind of, I know you share a lot of, a lot of thought leadership and some good stuff on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter as well. Where, where do you want people to follow you? Yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm probably more active there than, than most places. And yeah, you can visit my website, uh, curtis.co uh, and shoot me an email. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.